many books talk about this topic, and I have now been fortunate enough to see some of these cycles in our very own businesses, and that is that there are cycles and stages of a business. There are things that are obviously unpredictable and and industry-specific, but there's a certain amount of things that are extremely predictable in every business cycle and every business stage. These uh, stages come with a certain amount of employees. They come with a certain amount of sales. They come with a certain amount of locations. And if you understand these cycles or these stages that every business goes through, I feel like you can be better prepared to actually go through them. Um, And you won't be necessarily concerned when they do come up. Uh, You'll understand that every business deals with this certain Thing. So today I want to talk about the three stages or the three cycles of a business as I see them and has, as I have experienced them and lived through them and talk about the biggest challenges in each of those and how to overcome that. Uh, Chris, first thoughts about the cycles and stages of business. Yeah, I think they definitely exist. Um, and certainly these are the three probably broadest uh, cycles. But I would say that even within each of these, there are cycles. Um, I've heard it said that there's a plateau um, to make your first 500K uh, revenue uh, you know, in a year. And then you really have to work to get Uh, to that first million. So I think inside each of these cycles, you're going to break down. There is, there is some natural, um, you know, story arc in there for each person as well. Yeah. And I think sales is one of those things that is incredibly industry specific Mm -hmm. or business specific. It's certainly even in through, through retail, uh, something that we do is talk about sales all the time, but us doing a million dollars in sales is probably the profit equivalent to a uh, restaurant doing 250000 hmm. in sales. Um, us doing a million in sales probably takes, uh, I don't know, three employees. Um, but for a restaurant, a million dollars in sales would probably take a restaurant 35 wow. employees. You know, So there's – of course, we'll, we'll kind of peg these as sales goals or targets or whatever, but – um, it will be very dependent on – that is just a general figure. Um, it will be very dependent on your style of business. It would probably be better um, to pin it more as profit because uh, I feel hmm. like that would probably be the best uh, way. But it depends on how many employees you have and what type of business you're in and things like that, of course. But um, So anyways, without further ado, let's talk about cycle one or stage one. Uh, many people talk about this as the uh, infancy stage. Uh, Tony Robbins has a, a, a large seminar that talks about the stages of business, and he calls this the crawling hmm. phase um, and how there's certain things is when you have a child that, you know, the kid that's crawling around, you have to watch out for certain things. Uh, if you have something, you put it on the top shelf. If you do this, you do that. You know, um, there's just certain things when you have a child that's a certain age, you do certain things to protect it. Um, and so that's the first thing that we're talking about is this infancy stage. I would call this zero to a million dollars in sales, um, but that doesn't, again, that doesn't necessarily mean much. It depends on Mm. your industry. Um, The challenge in this first stage, I think, is sales. It's all about reaching that threshold of profitability and having profitable sales. Um, With a a business that is in um, infancy, the business owner is typically 
the main operations person. They're typically the main salesperson. They are typically running the business, working on the business. They're finding out how to sell certain things. They're finding out what sells well. Um, they're finding out, you know, these things do sell well. These services don't sell well. Here's the problem with this. Um, and this stage, though, it's um, if you're in it right now, it sucks. And though anybody that's been in it has, would admit that it's not probably the most fun, it's necessary because you not only have to understand these cycles in general, but you have to understand these cycles in your business because if you don't, then you'll never learn what yeah. does sell. <laughs> if you can't ever crack out of this, then guess what? You haven't learned your lesson. It's like you haven't graduated to the next grade. The reason why you have to graduate and move on to the next grade is because you can't go to the next grade until you learn things in pre-algebra that you need for algebra one and two. Um, and so I think that this is the cycle one is you just have to learn how to sell and what sells well. And that's not necessarily a salesperson, right. but you just have to learn like what are the what are the benefits and some of the, the main things that that people appreciate about your mm. industry. Um, what what is uh, you you know not long ago you branched out on mm -hmm. your own and became a, a business owner yourself what do you what do you feel like about cycle one is that yeah i think spot that's on? spot on it better <laughs> right. be don't call me out <laughs> no. on my own podcast i really do i think it's i think it's spot on in the sense that you're figuring out what people you know like and appreciate aka value about your business so the way you solve problems the service or product that you offer to people you have to figure that out you have to figure out that story of, of how it makes people's lives better and you do that by selling it. You do that by selling it, and then you do that by making it and delivering it and seeing it out in the world, right? And you're exactly right. I think a lot of this first cycle is going to be very much the entrepreneur stage of you know hustle where you're putting out there into the world solutions, seeing um, what works, seeing what people value, and taking that, that feedback. I also would say that there is a big difference as we talk about these cycles between building a business and creating for yourself a job. And those are two very different mm. um, paths in, in self-employment because there are lots of people that are what we may call freelancers and that's okay. You just have to know if you want to be a freelancer, this first cycle may be the place you live your entire life. And and yeah, you've got to build yeah. it for that because there are ways and, 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 and things you do um, to build a job that you would not do to build a business. And there are people who are trying to build a business and they're constantly stuck in that building a job part. And so you're right. It's because they haven't learned that lesson. They haven't learned what sells well, what people value that solves their problems that'll push you up to that first that first line in the sand, like you said, whether it's a million in sales or a certain profit or a certain number of clients or, or um, employees, whatever it is, you're pushing toward that. And if you're building a business, you're pushing toward that so that you can then um, create some structure out of that, which comes later. Yeah, I would say that <clears throat> I read a statistic recently that 96% of businesses uh, are below mm. this threshold, are at 1 million or below yep. in revenue. And that is a staggering number. 
the the tricky part is that is that ninety six percent of small businesses are less than one million. So I guess that doesn't encompass mid sized enterprises. That doesn't hmm. encompass you know Fortune five hundred type businesses. That's just of the small businesses, which only small. Anyways, it's kind of a confusing figure. <laughs> yeah. I feel like, but a large part of people that consider themselves small businesses are under this one million in threshold. And you know, so much of what we talk about on this podcast to a retail person is if your retail store is needs improvement, 96% of people are below this 1 million. Well, what do you need to work on? It's sales, it's training, it's marketing, it's different ways to market. It's, you know, so much of what we talk about is how to help this revenue number. And this is why it's because there's such a large portion and, you know, what else do you do with a retail store if it's slow? Working on displays doesn't help if if your store is slow. I mean, yeah, that can sure. help a little bit, but um, you know, working on hiring doesn't help if you don't have people coming in because you don't need to hire. Working on, you know, there's so many things of a retail business that don't help uh, if you don't have sales. Sales kind of cures yeah. all, <laughs> and so. Um, that is that is such a, a crucial part of this first cycle. Once you get to a certain amount of t- of sales, you have to start working on other things. But you got to get to yep. the sales first. Uh, cycle two is kind of this over this one million threshold, and I would call this the one million to ten million in sales. Um, we are quickly approaching this this ten millions in sales figure uh, for the first time annually, and. Uh, so we've had a little bit of a slowdown. We're still on track to beat it, but uh, but hopefully we'll crack that uh, nut for the first time this year. The challenge in this, I feel like, is adding additional products or services. Um, once you learn how to sell things and you yourself can sell things, well, now you have to continue to sell more of it. So. Once you start training other people to sell and once you start having other products and other services and adding those things in, we used to only sell horse feed pretty much. Well, then we added in hay and then we added in supplements. Well, now you kind of have to make the decision of what else do I sell? Do I add more products and services? What industry am I trying to tackle? And we talk a lot about this on the podcast of who is my customer? What am I doing? And, and I feel like that's what you are trying to navigate in this in this next stage of the product um, or this next stage of the business cycle. Um, the business has to improve its product offering um, and add additional different products or additional different services because when just the business owner isn't the only one selling them, the business owner isn't there to um, say, hey, I could sell that or, hey, I could do this. You have to give the tools to your employees to say, here, sell this or here, try this or try that. Um, and this is where you really need to dial in, like, where is my fit mm-hmm. in the world? Who am I selling to? Am I selling to um, the urban mom who likes to, you know, spend a lot of money on entertainment? Am I selling to the working dad who is trying to buy a gift for his kids? Am I, you know, selling a restaurant or whatever your whatever your uh, industry is? This is where you have to dial down like what you're doing well. In cycle one, you can sell a little bit of everything because you're the business owner and you're just trying to build this clientele. Um, but when you get employees and when you start trying to build an actual business, like Chris said, you're getting out of that, I just own my job deal and you're owning a business. You have to really dial down of what you 
can sell because if not, it can get out of control and you'll just be a jack of all trades. Um, so talk about cycle two. What do you think about? Oh, I love thoughts? that you said jack of all trades because the risk I think in diversifying your product offering too early is that you don't give yourself your business enough time to become known uh, in your niche or in your industry for that thing you did early on. Um, I, I see a lot of small businesses start to struggle and they immediately begin offering anything and everything. Well, what are other things that we might buy? Now, this is hard because you know we're in a podcast and I'm not giving anybody specific advice on their business because there's a spectrum here. There's certainly one side where you're going to have people who throw everything in there. It muddies the message. Nobody really knows what they do. Um, and so they just get confused and the business dies. And then you've got the other end of that spectrum where um, – where you're kind of how do I put this where you're you're needing a fast path to cash and so remember that mm. that in mm -hmm. cycle 1 the fast path to cash is focus and you know learning that 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 sales piece but in cycle 2 when we're we're trying to not be a jack of all trades there's a deft balance there of we offer things that our ideal customers would also buy from us that make sense that are part of our brand um but we don't you know immediately go and a good example is amazon started as a bookstore um it didn't it didn't shop hmm. you know start up day one as amazon that we know it today where you can literally find anything on the planet they grew into that place by asking what will our ideal clients buy or ideal customers buy in addition to what we sell so what makes sense and you know obviously i'm not here to argue that amazon is a failure <laughs> obviously there's a ton of money to be made there but most <laughs> businesses cannot you know quickly become that there there has to be a really really intentional path from the thing you got kind of famous for among your people, for selling, the problem you're solving, the way you make people's lives better. And then as you've grown, you've started to add more logical offerings. I think that's the, the whole idea behind cycle two. And what you're talking about, Steve, is employees then grab onto that and begin selling those things because you have clarified your identities. You know what your client personas and customer personas are, and it makes a lot of sense. That logic helps your business grow because not only do your people, so your employees go, oh, of course we're selling this. And in, and in your case, Steve, of course we're also selling dog food, even though we're a horse feed and supply company, because what is it like 85% of horse owners also own dogs. But if you start out that way yep. too early, suddenly you're a pet supply store and you're really competing in an entirely different subset of your industry. So I think that's where cycle two is. Not only is it about the furtherance of your niche, but it really is asking that question, what more can we sell that our people would buy? And it makes sense. That's way, the way we grow and we add you know, many millions on to our annual revenue. And I think that's the importance of the business owner being involved with selling and um, learning all this stuff yeah. in cycle one is if you're not involved and you're not, you don't understand, you didn't pitch all these products. You just try to hire a bunch of people and then start out. You know, I think that's the, the paramount importance of, of this in cycle one is the business owner has to be involved. And I'm not saying in every single business, of course, sure. there's been businesses that have started with huge, you know, venture capital and the, the owner isn't involved in the actual retail store, but 
um, that owner, I guarantee you, did that at one point in some business, whether it was, you know, 30 years ago, he, you know, opened a yeah. convenience store or whatever it might be. Um, I would I would venture to guess that uh, the a successful person has been involved in this um, cycle at some point. And it in really life. goes back to we've talked before on this podcast about delighting uh, your customers. And I think that when that logic plays out of, oh, it's very natural that they would carry this too. And that's so helpful to me. That's a delight for your customer. When people have to make these huge mental jumps to figure out why you're offering this new product, because it almost doesn't at all relate to what your niche is. That's where you start to burn people's mental calories too much that they just go, I don't know if this place is for me anymore. It's getting too different. It's not what I expected. And you're, you're, attempt at diversification actually turns on you and, and it begins kind of eating your own business. Yeah. Um, cycle three is the 10 million and beyond. And I'm speculating <laughs> a bit on some of this, of course, as I've been transparent about our revenue uh, numbers. However, I have already seen this in our business um, and I've already kind of started to witness this a little bit more is that you are out of control. Yep. You're outnumbered at this point, 10 million and beyond. You cannot just screw it. I'll let everybody go and run it myself. You're it's too late. The ship has sailed. You're out of control. Um, recently had our third kid and that's how I feel <laughs> about with kids now. You, you know, it, yeah. now we're outnumbered. Um, you know, so if, if the kids turn on us, they can, they can outnumber us now. Um, so this third cycle or stage of a business, and I've put it 10 million and beyond, there's a book I'm reading right now. It's called ready fire aim. And it is, uh, it is about these cycles of business. He has 10 million to 50 million and then 50 million to, I think a hundred million and breaks down the wow. nuances of those. Um, and he's been very successful and built many businesses, um, to that point. But he talks a little bit about, um, some of these nuances, but I believe the third cycle of a business, 10 million and beyond, is just about people development, people placement, and mm. people training. Um, the book, Good to Great, uh, Jim Collins, the author of that book, actually researched companies that were kind of stagnant for, I believe, it was uh, a certain amount of years, and then they just exploded and took off in their growth. They hockey-sticked um, in their growth for, I believe it was 30 years, wow. and just had an incredible run of success and in this stage of the business he talked about um, how those businesses one of the defining characteristics of those businesses that did that um, every one of them did what was called got the right people on the bus um, they they focused on hiring they focused on hiring good people they focused on just getting good people and then figuring out wow. what to do with them um, they they got successful people smart people hardworking people, whatever it might be, whatever that, that company, you know, I mean, there were some that were uh, scientific research companies. There were some that was retail stores. There were some, you know, there were all different kinds of businesses. So it would depend on a retail store doesn't need a, a, a sure. medical researcher, of course, you know, so it depends on what kind of business you're in, but they just got the right people and then they figured out what to do with them. But I think that that's a defining characteristic of a successful company that grows beyond itself is, there's somebody at the top that knows how to develop people and place people in the yep. right spots and train people and, and put those 
um, people in the right uh, departments. Uh, maybe it's a it's a very large store. Put those people in the right stores, locations. Maybe it's the right people in sales, being the face of the company, whatever it might be. Um, but I think that this is the third and final stage of the company. Would you say, Steve, that I mean, at that point, as a as an owner or a leader, you're spending 100% of your time pouring into people. I would say so. I'm, I'm able to, I'd say, uh, you know, we're, and we're not even to this, you know, we're talking about barely hitting this 10 million threshold, but I would say that, uh, I, and I don't want to say I don't have time for customers, sure. but I, I don't have the amount of impact that I can have on the business. I can have a greater impact teaching someone to do yep. something that they can do you know, times 50 or times 100 week yep. in and week out than I would be able to spend with three customers. I'm able to have a larger impact. And so I would say that that is more of the the difference. In, in the past, say we had 100 top customers, I would just call 100 of those because that would pacify the business. Well, now, I mean, we have 250 customers that yep. mean a lot. I mean, spend a lot of money. Well, how can I get to all them? week in and week out, you know, um, well, it's by training four people on what's important and how to take care of those people. And, you know, um, so I would say that that, that that's the the kind of like multiplying yourself while also looking for even people who are even better than you in all in various areas. And that's kind of that idea of you find the great people, put them on the bus because you're trying to multiply yourself so that they feel empowered. They have decision-making ability, things like that. All the while, looking for those people who have the the gem of of being better at this thing than even you were, because now you're building a team. You're not just you're not trying to do it all yourself. Yeah, I feel that this is a it's a very specific type of business owner. And Henry Ford is famous mm. for saying, I believe, I I make a point to always make myself be the dumbest yep. person in the room. Yep. Or something like that. To that something effect. to that, yep. you know, um, to that effect. But he, you know, he was famous for like saying, "Hey, I'm not good at sales. This is one of the best salesperson people in the world, or whatever it might be." Um, you know, I feel like that is my goal is to always try to get somebody that, "Hey, you did door to door sales. I know nothing about that. Teach me. You know, yeah, you absolutely. tell me what's." Um, good or bad or, you know, whatever it might be. And that's with our vendors as well. You know, I've been up front with you. Like, I'm willing to learn, um, you know, on on different marketing stuff and things like that. So I think that that's important that a business owner at this level has to focus primarily on um, putting the right people in being the judge of whether something is successful or that person is in the right position or spot or opportunity. and a person at that level has to be comfortable with, you know, having tough conversations if that's yeah. not the case. I think that that's, that's part of what you do at that level is you you try things and you either have tough conversations or, or it's a success or, or not. Um, and yeah, that's absolutely. My it, to, to the uh, extent that really your customers, the, the, the people that you need to wake up worrying about are your team these days and not the 100 people you used to call. Yeah, exactly. 
Well, a um, little bit of a unique uh, deal. I would venture to say that 96% of the people listening to this are probably in the first yeah. cycle of business, and that's why we spend you know, the, a huge majority of our time on that. But um, as I had mentioned the book that I was reading, Ready, Fire, Aim, he talks about these three cycles of a, of a business, and I think that um, there's two things of why I wanted to do this. A, uh, I think that some people don't think about the cycles of their business, and they don't think about how their business will change and how they mm. need to change. You might not always be the person doing the thing or making the widgets yep. or whatever uh, or waiting on the customers. Keep in mind that your business might change, and you might. Uh, we talked about the importance of having margin in your product and things like that. Uh, to be able to hire people and things like that. But the other reason that I wanted to do this was even if you are in cycle one and you have been for a few years, that keep in mind your business will change. And if you're kind of feeling like you're in a rut or you're overwhelmed with always waiting on the customer, always doing the thing or or always having to open the store or close the store or whatever it might be, it will change eventually. And you'll get out of that um, at some point. I remember... Um, being in that for so many years, uh, being the only opener, the only closer. Uh, and so uh, if you are in that, uh, cycles change, things change in your business, hopefully, as long as you keep listening to the Better Business <laughs> There it is. Podcast. That's it. Chris, final thoughts? I think this is great. Yeah, you, you because looking ahead like this gives you the ability to plan and dream and know that like Steve said, things will change, and you have some uh, you have some path ahead of you, and that's always good to aspire to to challenge yourself with. So, this is great. Cool. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Better Business.